Hey, Jamie, welcome to West Coast Project. Hey, Mike. Thank you for welcoming me. Anytime. Every time. <laughs> How you doing, Jamie? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. <laughs> well, that's, that's good to hear. <laughs> Jamie, I just had the best hamburger. Tell me about it's it. It's dinner time here in California. Um, do you have Oliver's in Georgia? Nope. Oliver's kind of like a little boutique grocery store. No, they make no these, we don't have they, it. They kind of make they kind of hand make these hamburgers, but um, and you take them home and cook them. But the problem is they put them in these secret, super secret wrappers. <laughs> like they come in, they come in a package of two in in sealed plastic, and you open it up, and you know there's two in there, but then there the two are individual ones are wrapped, and they're wrapped in this like invisible wrapper that you freaking can hardly tell is even on there. And um, I've done this before. I just throw the whole thing on the grill. And then you realize you've got plastic. Yeah, but you know, it's weird. The plastic doesn't melt. What? You have to, uh, you can still peel it off. But I mean, I remembered it this time and took the plastic off before I threw it on there. But anyway, uh, that was my, that was my quick bachelor dinner tonight. <laughs> well, it sounds delicious. And I should tell you, I've been on a diet for like a month. And so anything sounds good to me. Is that why you've been so grumpy? <laughs> I am not grumpy. <laughs> You're not grumpy. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> hey, Jamie, we got some shit happening. Um, we oh, got, God. of course, the Americans. Uh-huh. We've got Better Call Saul uh-huh. started this week. And we've got Fargo coming up at the end of the month. Um, Michelle and I do Fargo. All kinds mm-hmm. of stuff hitting the fan this time of year, man. It's all it's all piling up. I know it's crazy. So, Jamie, did you uh, discern any meaning from crossbreed from the title in the episode and the stuff in the episode and your fertile mind? What'd you come up with? <laughs> man, I gotta tell you, like I got nothing. There was a lot of parenting, like. The breed, like, how did, where, what did my parents do? And maybe that's some of it. And they didn't want that same ignorance to fall onto Paige, so they took her into Gabriel at the end. But maybe it's kind of that. Like, what are you, it's not really crossbreeding, I guess, but I don't know. I don't know, Mike. I, I don't know. It's really freaking weird. It's a weird, weird, weird situation. Like, weird. And I just keep getting these crazy, feelings about Philip and his messed up memory, how he doesn't have anything like about his dad. And I feel like there's something we're going to discover that's really crazy. And the fact that this episode was called crossbreed, I don't know. I mean, and then, you know, what happened at the end with Paige, it just is weird. I'm wondering now, really, if, if Gabriel is Philip's dad. That would be a very interesting crossbreed. Yeah. Because uh, I don't like this either. I don't like this mysterious sort of mental illness they're imparting onto Philip. Well, I mean, okay, so he's been bothered by this whole thing from the beginning, but... They're really making it heavy now, and I'm, like, really upset. I'm with you on that. Like, how they keep saying things like, oh, Philip has a file, and, um, you know, and, oh, they're, you know, they're, once they, they have your scent, 
you know, they'll always be on you once they suspect you or once they're concerned, they'll always be concerned. It's just like way beyond my comfort zone. All right. Well, all we can do is keep reminding ourselves it's only TV show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, Jamie. So at the start, Elizabeth gives Gabriel the wheat lowdown. And uh, Mm -hmm. now they've kind of switched their tact here. They want not to destroy the – or worry about what they're going to do to destroy the wheat. They want to get their hands on this super wheat so it can solve their hunger problems in Russia. Yep. So Elizabeth kind of remembers where the healthy wheat was located in the lab. And I guess she's going to go after some of that and try to, I don't know, I'm guessing. Because there wasn't, the plot wasn't revealed so much in this episode, so much as the feelings of the characters. Like, we don't even know what they're, hell, what they're doing with that lady at the CIA, that new, that new Russian lady that they're trying to get photos and info about. Right. There's a whole right. bunch of new it, stuff going on that we don't know a lot about. It's just like the feelings of the of the protagonists that are uh, the most important part of this episode. Right. I agree with you. I feel like that was there was a whole lot in this episode that went unsaid, you know. And all right. So, I mean, maybe some of Crossbreed was like the fact that, you know, Elizabeth was all cozied up with the old dude with the Tai Chi you know, I don't know. She better not be falling for that knucklehead. That's all I can I'm say. I'm worried about that because he seems to be such a, you know. But then it could be another fake out like what they did with, um, you know, Martha. How I was convinced and a lot of people were convinced that Philip was really in love with Martha. And he was like, huh, I don't think so. I don't think he was ever in love with her. I think he cared about her. He kind of, he fell in like with her. Like he, he didn't want something evil to befall her. He couldn't right. he didn't casually dismiss her like all the other people in his path and his way. But I don't think he was in love with Martha. I know. You you know what? You were you had that opinion for almost the whole time we knew Martha and I was sort of part of the way down like really fully 100% convinced that Philip was in love with that chick. And um I uh, I got the wool pulled over my eyes. Well, so in this first little scene, even Elizabeth starts questioning, like, her psychology. Like, is there something wrong with me? She's asking, she's kind of questioning herself, which I thought yeah. was kind of Paige-like, because Paige did that last episode as, you know, I'm just, I'm just resigned now to this role of, like, I'll never be happy because there's all this crap wrong with me. Right. And Gabriel has to reassure her that, no, it's not, there's nothing wrong with you. Right, which is another moment that kind of makes Gabriel feel like, you know, a parent to um, Elizabeth and Philip, you know, because he, he tends to take that role with them from the first moment that we met Gabriel. Um, you know, he had that fatherly kind of, you know, demeanor with them. And I think this was another indication of it. It's a lot stronger this season. Um, but, I, you know, about Elizabeth you know, having that moment of kind of, you know, self-awareness or really kind of like um, almost like a clumsy effort at self-awareness because, you know, um, you know, she was feeling doubtful about herself. But it was it was interesting because the Jays have said on more than one occasion that and and you actually, I think, have also mentioned this, that Philip and Elizabeth are creatures of their time period. And 
you know, they were born in like, I guess the sixties and, you know, they were, or maybe the fifties and they were adults with a family in the 1980s when adults that age were not very self-aware. They weren't accustomed to psychology and psychiatry and, um, you know, sort of analyzing themselves and, you know, putting everything out on the table. They kind of had, and particularly being from the place in the world that these two people were from, they were not self-aware. They didn't have a lot of enlightenment around their feelings, you know, and I thought it was really indicative of where Elizabeth would be, um, you know, emotionally to not really understand, to say, oh, there's something wrong with me because she's feeling conflicted. So she thinks that there's a flaw in her or a flaw in, you know, her mind or her, you know, her approach when in fact she's just being human. It's interesting that she's questioning it like she never had or would before. She's a couple laps behind Philip. You know, she's yeah. behind him in his progression towards like self-awareness, but she is questioning it now more than ever. And it's kind of interesting to watch her start to do that. Yeah, like that she would, you know, put her head down and be like, OK, I'm broken. There's something wrong. And um, Gabriel's reassuring answer was lovely, I thought. So that takes us right up to the credits. We come back to the Jennings kitchen. Math is super easy for Henry. We kind of already knew that. Uh, no travel business for him, Jamie. He's kind of scoffs at going into the family travel business. You can tell Henry's destined for greater things, or at least probably more dangerous things, if these writers have their way. Well. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're in the kitchen. Elizabeth tells Philip about Gabriel, and they're, they kind of think back about the poor lab guy. They, they're really like, wearing the weight of all the crap that they've done. It's all kind of catching up to them. Um, yeah. And then Elizabeth kind of reinforces the whole, Philip, you know, you they know you. They're going to need to know you're all right. You got to you got to be, you got to act, you got to buff up and be strong. It's it's kind of like a little overdone, I think, for the, for the whole Philip thing. Um, and then Gabriel's given Elizabeth a new job to do with the psychiatrist in the psychiatrist's office, which we don't really get many details about, but that's at least another caper that they have to embark upon. So it right. just never so, stops. Yep. Gabriel says, you've got a little job. It's a little minor thing. Should be really easy. You know, got to get into the psychiatrist's office. I thought that the um, approach was really interesting. Like, you know, with her, like the, the key, the hot key. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I didn't really understand that, that whole setup. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Right? People are bouncing that around. I, I like, though they melted the key. So when it's soft, the metal soft, it'll retain the image of the tumbler. I, I think it's just soot. You put soot, black soot on the key and it gets scratched a little bit by the tumblers that it touches. And you can see the scratch marks in the black there's no possible way you can melt the metal of a key and hold it in your hand and turn it in the lock yeah i i didn't know what the hell i would think that probably it's more likely what you described than it doing anything to the tumblers or anything like that um but it was interesting though and i i still don't know what you know like i didn't I didn't research it. 
I love the capers. I love the little plot, mini caper plots inside these stories. And there's a there's a really good one in Better Call Saul, too. Jamie and I do Better Call Saul on West Coast Projects, so please listen to that podcast. But um, there's a great little caper in that one, too, about a bug in a car and a tracking device. And it's really cool how they how they set it all up. But I love the I love the intimacy of that little caper. And even this little key thing is cool. I agree with you. I love the capers on both of these series. And um, I, I, I have some opinions about the Mike thing um, on Better Call Saul. So when we get to that episode, um, the, I, I have some stuff to say about that. Uh, I, I thought it was fantastic, but we can talk about it on the next one. So Misha lands back in the USSR, Jamie. So much from frickin' Misha. Kid goes through all that I, trouble and going through the border crossings and all that bullshit, and then he just goes home. Yeah, all right. So I'm really upset on behalf of Misha. Look, I'm really freaking pissed. Um, There's that word I hate. Um, I'm, like, really mad. Um, But I don't think we've seen the last of Misha. I think that it would be crazy for them to introduce him and make us love him and then, you know, like, just, like, throw him back into Russia and just leave him there. So I think we'll have more Russia and yeah, we'll so Misha was either a tool for getting Gabriel to bail. Like, no, I can't tell Philip about Misha or he'll freaking kill me. So I have to just leave now and go back to Russia. Or he will play a role later that's substantial. Although we're running out of time. They can't have too many roles playing to be played later. Um, I think you might be on to something with Gabriel being Philip's father or the best friend of Philip's father or something that he can't be close to Philip anymore. Cause if he, if he is, he's going to reveal it and that will compromise Philip's role as the soldier in the, you know, in, in the DC spy market. Wait, huh? Well, Misha, Misha going back to Russia is a good tool to get Gabriel back. Cause now, cause now Gabriel doesn't have to tell Philip, you know, Misha was almost here and he left. He can just say he just doesn't say anything. He just goes back and retires, right? That might be the reason, the motivation to get Gabriel out of there and retired back to Russia. Unless, so it's either that or later on Misha comes back to life as some important character. No, I I think that what happened is that um that Gabriel is just sick of the bullshit. <laughs> I think he's tired. He felt awful about lying to Philip and Elizabeth, even though Claudia said, well, they've lied to you. She's got stone cold heart. <laughs> but um, I, I think that he feels bad about it and he's had enough and he doesn't want to cause jeopardy to Philip and Elizabeth. And he's old and he's tired and he doesn't want to make any mistakes. And I think he's probably feeling his age, you know, because he really hated what he did to Misha. Like he hated that last episode when, when he had to lie to that, well, yeah, lie to that boy and tell him, you know, you can't see your father and then send him back without having this extremely important moment to him. He's depriving Misha. He's depriving Philip. And he just couldn't, I, you know, I think that was close to the final straw. Well, he and didn't then, really lie to Misha. He lied to Philip. He told Misha the truth. You come come close to Philip puts him in grave danger. Well, okay, so he sort of told him the truth. I don't think that's necessarily true. 
but sort of. I guess you're right. Sort of true because of what would happen, you know, if Philip knew what they had done to his son after all the sacrifices he's made, you know, for Russia. Then yeah, but I mean, still it was just like a bunch of bullshit, and it kept like it was something that Philip would not have wanted if he had known. He would so, not have wanted. So what was the point of Misha if not to get Gabriel out of there just so he can avoid having to talk to Philip about it? What was the whole point of Misha? What was why why even have him make that journey? Well, um, you mean from the story? From, yeah. Uh, well, well, okay. So you know, every story needs conflict, and you know. So I suppose from from that angle, yeah. Then yeah. I mean, you know, it's for the the purpose of um, you know causing some more you know, concern for Philip and conflict for Philip and, you know, and it's a convenient vehicle to, you know, carry a lot of different plot points. So Philip is having dreams about his father. Um, he, he kind of thinks about how they had nothing back then and now they have everything, they have everything they want in the U.S. And he has flashbacks of his mother. I think it's his mother cleaning his shoes or his boots or maybe his father's boots. Yeah. His boots, his just like totally poor, sad, glum looking existence they had. Yep. All right, we go to a DC playground. There's kids running around, and Stan and Adderholt meet Mrs. Kovalenko. Yeah. They offer her opportunities like- and risks, by the way, but mainly opportunities. So they press, they impress upon her the opportunities about how things could be good. Uh, so Stan and Aderholt are nicer at spydom than the guys in the USR, USSR are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so remind me about this lady because I think we've seen her before, but I don't have the connection for her. Like, I don't know where she came from. Yeah, I don't know too much about her. I think that's what I say. I think they're doing some stuff that they don't give us too many details on just to show, like, that the spy game is rolling full speed ahead. There's all kinds of other stuff. Um, that we don't know all the specs on. Like, we don't know more than the spies, just like we normally do. It's just mm-hmm. kind of a hint of stuff just keep move, keeps moving ahead no matter what. Okay, um, gotcha. I've never heard, I don't know who she, who she is or what she's doing. You know, they're, they're trying to turn her. Um, at first I was looking at her like, is okay, is this the woman teaching the CIA agents Russian? But I don't think that's uh-huh. not. That's the mom. That's a different person. Right, that's right. Um, but yeah. they do bring her up later too, so this is a new, this is a whole new caper, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a new character, and she's all like, "It's hard," <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, we know, we know, but just let us, let us do what we got to do." <laughs> so, so we jump I- to Topeka, and Elizabeth and Ben are in bed. Yeah. What's her name? Renee. Renee and Ben and Bad. No, not Renee. Is that her name? Oh, Renee's uh, Andrea. What's Elizabeth's yeah. name? Oh, now I forgot. You made me forget. Becky? Not Becky. I don't know what her name it's is. It's like that. It's one of those librarian type names. She's got the librarian <laughs> <laughs> horn rimmed glasses look. Yeah. Um, more corny, jo- corny jokes, dumb corny jokes with Ben. And she teases him about his macho-ness with the super wheat. And you can tell she's just on. It's the entree to like, I want to know more about this super wheat big boy. That's right. Find out about it. 
he starts to show her some tai chi tai chi yeah um, um which was great because it was so modern you know kind of feeling because tai chi kind of came on the scene i guess back then in america like it's ancient but you know in america kind of came on the scene i guess in the 1970s or 80s and then um you know but people are still doing that like now um and it was really interesting because it was it was kind of like a moment that shot you know the story kind of forward you know like into more uh current things that people think about and do it didn't feel so period you know um and it was interesting to see elizabeth kind of lean into something that she might have you know poo-pooed at a different time you know a month ago she might have been like oh what the hell you know, maybe just choked him out and killed him then. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. You're right. It was interesting kind of colloquially, like chronologically, that was happening in 1983, 84. But it was also, you're right about the second thing, too, is that she's she's humoring him at first. All right, I'll do your Tai Chi. But she was getting into it almost like Philip with the Est. It's like enlightenment to her. It's bringing on some sort of revelation of like inner awareness of some sort yeah whatever tai chi does i guess it was working for her yeah i agree with you all right so go back to the dc washington dc street scenes gabriel tells claudia that misha is back home and we'll get his old job back this is what made me think that he this is the mechanism to get gabriel back jamie because he says i've never lied to them before and this like you said claudia says they've lied to you but I don't think Gabriel wants to lie to them, and he can get out of this l- continual lie to them by just bailing and going home. I mean, I know he is tired; he's ready to retire and all that. But you know, maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the mechanism that the hinge upon which he decides to go home. Oh, I think that's absolutely one hundred percent right. I think he just it made him feel horrible, and that moment of awareness for Gabriel was like, okay, this is it. I'm out. I'm out of the game because I'm not, I've obviously lost my edge. It's too much for me. You know, like he said to them, you've seen too much, you've done too much. I think it's the same for him. So later on, Gabriel goes to the Lincoln Memorial. And I, Jamie, now this has come up a couple of times where the communists seem to admire Lincoln did you ever investigate that or think about that or read up on it? Like why Lincoln might be some sort of a role model to the to the USSR in a good way? Like they admire him almost. All right. So I can tell you that a lot of people who embrace Eastern philosophy um, admire Lincoln um, because he was um, – if I'm not mistaken, I think he was Unitarian. Like his belief in God was very um, philosophical. You know, it was kind of like untied to a particular religious bent. And um, that served him well. And the and he seems to be universally acceptable in a, in a, in in a broad way and in a detailed way. I mean, it just, his, his life was one that translates well. It's a life of virtue that translates well across 
a multitude of cultures and belief systems. And um, I, I believe that, uh, in a sense, that Lincoln kind of represents an ideal person because he stood for, um, you know, the, the for the non enslavement of you know humanity for the equality of human beings and um, other kinds of, kinds of virtues. You know, because he he was someone who was really simple, like he had a very poor life and a very humble life, um, you know, before he was president. And so he he just translates well across a lot of different cultures and belief systems. It's interesting when historical 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 figures are revealed in like in in a light that you haven't thought of them before. Like it's kind of weird to think of communist people admiring Abraham Lincoln, mm. right? Lincoln, the great, the great, you know, the great liberator of slavery and the, the great, the, one of the greatest presidents ever. But um, mm-hmm. if you read about Lincoln, he was like a brutal tactician in the Civil War. He, um, he employed the, the mathematics of, uh, of war <laughs> and the mathematics and like air quotes is just simply throwing enough numbers at the other side to massacre them. He knew, he knew how to win a war. Like he knew what he had to do to like es- establish dominancy over the South. And it was just like essentially slaughter, like throw enough troops at enough other troops that you make sure that you win. And that's how he directed his generals in the civil war. So he isn't this nice guy sitting around until he gets assassinated in a theater, you know, he's like a, he's a pretty full character, pretty complete well, character. I mean, that's, that's the thing about Lincoln, you know, like if you study his, his life, he's really complex human being. I mean, like even, you know, people from the gay community, you know, have their own theories, you know, which I think are, are pretty well debunked, but you know, there are people who, you know, sort of imply that he was homosexual because, you know, of the habits that men had in those days, you know, and the way that they spoke uh, to other men, which at the time, you know, there was nothing strange about it. But, you know, in our culture, it just seems like way too intimate. But um, but Abraham Lincoln was exactly as you say, he was he was a strategist. And it was not only when it came to war, it was when it came to governing. He was rather famous for um, being the guy who says, you know, you, you, you should have a private uh, political personality and a public political personality. Um, you know, not in exactly those words, but he was a strategist. And, you know, and he wasn't he the guy who... Um, uh, convened a cabinet of rivals like he he knew how to use forces that were opposing to yield the result that he was looking for and that is that is a serious talent yeah certainly better than a lot of people you've experienced in leadership in this country but yeah it's it's just interesting when Political and famous people don't fit the profile that you kind of got locked in your head in your head or your imagination as a little kid when you learn about history. 
mm-hmm. know, Lincoln on the penny, this, this like, I don't know, he looked pretty conservative, his stovepipe hat and his black and white appearance in my memory. It seemed like a really, like, cutting logs in Illinois and Kentucky. You know, this really, like, simple guy that was, like, a really honest, honest Abe um, mm-hmm. on the penny, you know, just super, super straight shooting guy. But he was really complicated, and, you know, I just, I just like finding out stuff like that. I agree with you. I think that's fantastic. And now I'm curious, you know, I thought about it when I saw him. And, and of course, Lincoln is one of my favorite presidents. Um, you know, we've talked about it before. I have um, African ancestry and um, among other things. And and so I'm, I'm very um, connected to that part of my uh, my history. And so I admire him and love him for, you know, for the things that he's famous for, but also, you know, as a student of history, you know, I, I admire the dude. I mean, he accomplished things um, that, you know, in the, in the, in the face of <laughs> like looking at people and, you know, being an adult alive you know, long enough to have seen a few presidents and, you know, to, to understand a little bit about the world and the way it works, to have the kind of character that allows you to, in mind, that allows you to achieve the monumental things that he achieved, it's really um, impressive. It's also interesting, just the stuff in history with Lincoln, the, um, like the Gettysburg Address, we always, think, we always hear that as kids growing up in the U.S. and we, we kind of know it's an important thing in the U.S. So, you, so you, you envision it in your mind. It's like, oh, this big address. This must have been this big, long speech that he gave. It's only like the Gettysburg Address is like 200 and some words. And it took Lincoln like two minutes, like two minutes and 40 seconds to give the Gettysburg Address. And he did it like on the heels of some other knucklehead giving some long speech in the freezing cold. Uh, it was either freezing cold or st- steamy hot it was like really uncomfortable setting and some other guy was blathering on and on and he finished and lincoln just ripped off this gettysburg address in address in two minutes and just kicked ass with it you know i never knew that till i like read more and found out more about it that it was just this real punctuation in history just a really short event in history that he was responsible for and like you got that great point across in freaking 200 words it's amazing Yes. I mean, and that was the, that was one of his most, um, his, his most noticeable strengths was his ability to give a speech and, and that can't be underestimated. I mean, I don't think Barack Obama ever would have been elected if it had not been for his outstanding ability to deliver a speech. Um, and you're right. The Gettysburg address was really short. And people don't think of it that way, but it was, it was, like you said, it was monumental. All right, Jamie, so back to our show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Gabriel's at the Lincoln Memorial looking around, and um, that's about it. He just kind of looks at Lincoln and kind of ponders, looks around the pond and across the pond to the Lincoln Memorial. Um, Oleg and Ruslan now meet the warehouse guy in his apartment. They've somehow got in there in another kind of TV slash movie trope where you sit in the apartment and wait for the guy to come home. And they're in his apartment waiting for him. They're going to take his stuff away and, uh, unless he talks. And he starts to tell them a little bit. He tells them kind of how the system works. He gets deliveries from farms. He divides it up. Then he makes decisions that make some people happy and other people very unhappy. And he gets paid by some mysterious force to give privilege to people. 
And um, so Ruslan gives him the final offer. Like, you can tell us who who does this with you, or you can get a cell, sit in a cell until you think about it and tell us what you what we really need to know. Yeah, that was really interesting. And I don't know why. I don't know if it was just the day I had or what, but <laughs> I just kept having this, like, flash of like satire of like Oleg going off on dude and being like, you're in so much effing trouble, man. (laughs) Kind of thing that would be like super weak, like on the side of, you know, as opposed to what he did, which was really strong and, you know, kind of frightening and, you know, like that. I don't know. But um, I, I enjoyed that scene a lot. And um, I loved the extra added touch of, like, when Dude walked in the door, he was kind of talking to himself because he was walking in home expecting to be home alone. (laughs) I just, I loved it. I thought that was a great addition. Well, Jamie, there are no double-wrapped gourmet Oliver's hamburgers in this guy's warehouse, I bet, in Russia, 1984. Yeah, I seriously doubt that. But it was interesting, too, that they um, they offer him the hard-nosed solution versus Stan and Adderhall. Like, hey, we can make things good for you if you turn our way a little bit, baby. Yeah, wasn't that Sweet a nice... Yeah, that was a nice contrast, right? Like, and, and then, you know, like, every time, like, at every turn, you know, the Russians are hard, hard, hard asses. And then, like, you know, you've got the Americans. Like, remember when... Um, They'd caught William last season. They were being super duper nice to him. You know, they're just like, yeah, dude, we're going to let you die in peace. We're not going to, like, you know, F with you while you've got this, you know, virus in you. We're going to be nice. Can we get you a Coke? What can we get for you? (laughs) And even at that moment, William was in disbelief. Like, what the hell? Why are these people being nice? So we see them. We see them taking photos now of this woman at the CIA building. I still don't know if that's the woman the, from the trans from the um, the, the Fector's family, Tw- like Tuan's friend's mother, Pasha's mother, or if it's the new woman that the new caper they're on. But the woman at the CIA building looked like a new face to me. Yeah, you know what? You're making me think maybe that was. Maybe that was her because I couldn't figure out who that was. First, I thought it was Elizabeth's disguise, like, you know, her Ben disguise. But then I was like, no, I don't think so. And then I realized now, since you said that, I think that is uh, Pasha's mom. Yeah, because they do want photos of her class, the guys that are learning Russian so that they can work them. They, yeah. They do need to know who's in her class. And I think that was part of that caper. Okay. All right, so jump to Paige at home. There's a Mary Kay lady at the door, and Elizabeth, Paige tells Elizabeth, hey, there's a Mary Kay lady at the door, and she's 62, and she looks pretty good, and her skin is great. Elizabeth tosses her out on her ass. She's all pushy. (laughs) The Mary Kay lady pushes back a little little bit. Elizabeth gets madder and madder, but we know why. It isn't because she's a pushy Mary Kay lady. It's because of young he is like ripe in her memory for what they did to that poor family. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was a little too close to the pulse there. Elizabeth was like, oh, I can't think about this. <laughs> this is another mystery to Paige. Like why, why you're pretty mean to her. Why aren't you just nice to her? And plus Paige wanted to score some free makeup and stuff. I think. 
Yeah. Uh, but we'll see later on Elizabeth driving by the old Young He house and seeing other people there and realizing the broken upness of that family. What? Yeah. We'll get to that. Oh, dude, I missed that. All right, so Oleg walks to his meeting spot that he's been going to the last three or four episodes, and he sees the Russian Lincoln statue. <laughs> like, I don't know if that was uh, Lincoln. I know it probably wasn't Lincoln, but maybe Tchaikovsky or somebody, some famous Russian. Uh, sitting Lenin. <laughs> yeah, sitting in a chair, just like Lincoln is at his memorial in D.C. You know, I got I to tell you, like, that moment, I, I don't know. You know, like, okay, the Americans— along with a couple other shows, Better Fall Saul is one of them, Breaking Bad was one of them. Every episode of The Americans seems to have a few shots that are like super amazing, classic, beautiful shots. And in this episode, um, the Lincoln Memorial shot was the one for me. Um, It was the main one that was just amazing. Um, I loved that shot. It was so fucking beautiful. I'm sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> it was so beautiful. I loved how, like, um, Gabriel stood there, like, looking at Lincoln and Lincoln and his immensity, you know, like, sitting there just beautifully lit. And uh, it's just so poetic for an American, you know. Um, and then he turns around and there's the Washington Monument, like, you know, right behind him, um, on that beautiful mall, the mall is just, you know, it's just so beautiful, the whole thing. And, um, it was so romantic, you know, it was really, it was, uh, man, it stirred my heart, you know, that shot really got me emotionally. And, um, yeah. And it makes you wonder, right? Like about the feeling that each one, must have had. And I, I really hope that um, the official podcast for the show kind of explored that a little this week. I don't know if they did. I'm going to listen to it in the morning and see. But um, but I, I hope that they did because I would be curious to know what they meant, you know, like what that meant. Because to me, it seems like for Gabriel, this was like a sad goodbye. This is like, okay, I'm, you know, there, I, I, I don't belong here. I'm a spy and I love my country and I would do anything for my country. This is sad that I'm leaving. And there are things here that I love. And, you know, and then for Oleg, I wonder if it's a different feeling. Like, this is my country that I love. But there are things here that are real shit. Well, Jamie, we don't have the luxury of wondering. It's our job to tell the peoples what it meant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it was interesting uh, storytelling, though, to put the two scenes so close together like that. Yeah, I, yes. I, I love that. And, um, and I, I think that... Um, it, that it was a brilliant counterpoint. I think that you put that perfectly. All right, so Gabriel, Philip, and Elizabeth now talk to the CIA lady uh, or somebody connected to watching that CIA lady, her schedule or lunch times and stuff. And this is the, I guess her name's Marilyn. Uh, she's the woman that trailed Renee back home and helped Philip trail Renee back home last episode. 
Right. And, and yeah. here's where they so the, here's where they talk about pho- photography, getting f- photography of Egenia and her classmate, her, not her classmates, but her students. Right. So that's what made me think that something going on there was just trying to capture who's in her class so they can work them later on. Mm-hmm. And this is where Gabriel says it's time. I I think you know it couldn't it couldn't happen faster. I think he's on that. You know, that edge of like, okay, well, you know, this is, this is, if I stay much longer, this is going to be dangerous for me. And I don't want to be here anyway, because now I, I have to lie. My heart's not in this. So whatever, whatever amount of just dodging Philip is mixed in with that, I think that is a pretty strong motive for him to get back home. Um, Philip sees him and asks him if it's his fault. Is it my fault that you're doing this? Are you like stressed over me? And Gabriel says, no, it's just time to go home. But he does, he does pepper Philip with, but the center is concerned about you, Philip. You've seen too much and done too much. And by the way, I'll miss you. So he is worried about Philip and his stress being like being overburdened with too much stress that it might break him, break him down. Yeah, and that's like, you know, I think everybody is um, feeling that, you know, because you hear it from Claudia, you hear it from Elizabeth, you hear it from Gabriel. Everybody, I think, has that concern about Philip. And um, it, to me, that's a lethal thing. Like, he should be worried. Oleg waits at his appointed spot again, Jamie. No action. How many times has he done this now? Four, three or four at least that we've seen him go to that fountain and wait. That's right. That map location. Yep. All right. Nothing happened in there. Elizabeth goes into her office building or the office of the psychiatrist, I guess. And this is where the key caper happens. She goes into the restroom and smokes. I don't know if she actually smokes a cigarette, but she lights up a cigarette and puts the flame on the key. And I think just to make it black with carbon so it scratches where the tumbler's hidden on the door, she uses it on the door, tries it, and of course it doesn't work, but I think it gets the marks on the key that is what she's after. Uh, then she goes back into the waiting room, and eventually she gets in front of the psychiatrist and just does what people do when they go to a psychiatrist, says, I have a friend who wants... Well, she says the reason she ended up there is because she had a friend who went to see a psychiatrist and said that it helped or something. And then she started talking about her experience with those uh, street ruffians. Um, And she told a real story of, you know, what happened to her, you know, happened to her and Paige. Yeah, the one dude, the homeless guy she killed. Now, we don't know what she's after in the psychiatrist's office. Like, all the cabinets are padlocked, so there's something good in there. There's some good spy stuff in there. Yeah. They wouldn't padlock the damn cabinets, but we don't know what she's after. We don't. And I thought she looked especially frumpy and frizzy in this one, Jamie. No makeup, really sloppy overcoat. It was a really good disguise because she did not look like the normal Elizabeth that we, um, as guys, like, drool over <laughs> like regal everything in its place elizabeth who's you know very composed and with her silk blouses and her shoulder pads and then here she is the frump is like her hair wasn't even come straight it was i even gave i even gave her a double take like is that is that elizabeth or is that somebody is that the lady at the cia building you know i had to like look at her a couple times just to make sure 
Yep, that was her. She's never looked unglamorous ever before, and she looked that way in this scene. Oh, she has so. You don't remember the John Denver wig? <laughs> I like that look. <laughs> All right. All right, she gets to the travel agency and reports the whole scene to Philip, and he's curious about what the psychiatrist asked her. He thinks they always ask about your dreams and your sleep. Maybe that's because it's bugging him so much. That's because he's got dreams. He's, they're both trying to wake up. They're both trying to become, you know, a little bit more enlightened, and they're clumsily feeling their way through it. So they talk about Gabriel again, and Philip wonders if she knows more about what's going on than she's letting on to him. And um, he relates the story to her that he's been thinking more and more about the low-life dudes who didn't like him and his brother. And Right. Um, and he just questions out loud, why does this all bother me so much? Yeah, he's not... He's. It's interesting. It's really interesting to see how they're just really half-grown up. You know, like in their minds, they're they're trying to get there, but they are really behind. You know, there's no action at all in this episode, Jamie. It's all thinking and self introspection. Yeah, there's no action at all. There's no killings. There's no car chases. There's, you know, there's no uh, basketball in the driveway. <laughs> it's just all like thinking. You know what? There was another parallel thing. You just reminded me. Like, Elizabeth burned something, and Oleg burned something. Yeah, I made some notes about that. Both to Peter Gabriel songs. Yeah, man. Both events to Peter Gabriel. You know what? This is why this show is so freaking great. All right, it's the Henry and Stan show. It's been a while, Jamie, since we've seen these two comedic geniuses together. That is correct. What are they eating? They're eating some kind of tamale or burritos or something? I told you. It's a stuffed bell pepper. It's a stuffed pepper. Okay. And Henry's all like, he, Henry's all like, yeah, I, this wasn't my style. Like, I wouldn't have had this. But then she told me it's basically like a mashed up cheeseburger. <laughs> so well, I guess where did it come from? I didn't catch that. Where did the, where did the food come from? Stan must have made it and invited Henry over for for stuffed peppers and then Henry was like to his mom probably was like oh dude uh-uh, I don't want to go eat stuffed peppers what the hell's that and then his mom was probably like yeah you're gonna love it it's like basically a mashed up cheeseburger so just go eat it okay and yeah so Henry has eyes for a girl in his class and he relates this to Stan just yeah. like Jamie just like freaking Stan relates his dates as an adult to other adults yeah, and, and you know what? It was really cool because now we know about Chris. Because last episode, Philip and Elizabeth were like, boy Chris or girl Chris? I don't know. And now we know it's girl Chris. Oh, yeah, it's a great catch. Mm-hmm. Henry's smoother than frickin' Stan, though. He is. He's pretty damn cool. He closes that conversation with a, with a smirk. That was, that, was a great, <laughs> that was a great interaction. Yeah, I like that one, too. All right, Gabriel and Philip talk. Philip asks about his father, his memories of him, uh, how he met his mother. And Philip uh, gets some of the truth, I guess, probably most of the truth here from Gabriel. He met his mother at a movie, a worker's club. Uh, he worked as a logger. He worked as a logger. And they knew but each other he- only a month before they got married. 
And Phillips kind of questioning that, like he was a he was a logger. And Gabriel says, well, he worked at a logging camp. Actually, he was a guard at a penal camp where the dudes in the camp were the loggers. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah, that story changed like five times. <laughs> so Philip is like Paige here, right? He's like, well, did he kill anyone? <laughs> like, what did what did you have to do? Like Paige, he's just like Paige. It's so cool. And, and Gabriel just says, I, I don't know. I, he's probably honest there. Like, I don't know. He may be dodging it, but I don't know. You were talented. That's why we selected you, not because of your father. Um, he was a yeah, nobody. Well, he was just a nobody. We were all nobodies. Well, what he said was, um, you know, he said, like, what? Okay, so my father was like, um, you know, like a corrections type person. What branch was he? And then he said some name of something that sounded important. And then Philip was just like looking at him like, what in the hell? And, um, and he said, it, it, it helped that you came from a good family. Like basically because of your dad's reputation, the KGB or the government considered your family to be a good family. It helped that you came from a good family, but you were talented and that's why we chose you. Yeah, so like a compliment, like don't worry about we're doing this because your father made us do it or that you're or that you have to, you know, there's some penance you have to pay because of your being connected to your father. You're just you're just talented. That's why we picked you. Yeah. All right. So the next scene is Elizabeth by the the young he Don house where she watches their old house and the new family's there now. All right. How the hell did you realize that? Because that went I watched this episode three times. That went over my head. Because it has to be. What do you think? She's just cruising around neighborhoods watching suburban families go into their house? It's right on the heels of the of, of the Avon lady or the Mary Kay lady. I don't know what the hell. I, I don't know what I was thinking because I that went I didn't even see it. Like it didn't even register to me. And well, that's got exactly what it is. That's what she's thinking. So Paige reads the book on Marx, Capitalism, Marx's book on Capitalism. She, and she actually agrees with Marx, Jamie, even though he doesn't like religion. Um, Marx says a, a religion is a drug that keeps people in chains. And uh, she tells her mom, with, she's with Elizabeth here, she tells her mom that nothing has ever made me feel any better than my baptism. Yeah, so she says, you know, I agree with Marx. But Jesus, man, Jesus got me to good feelings. So Elizabeth knows the book. She's read the book. She says revolution is necessary to make progress, essentially, <laughs> not not verbatim. But um, and then Paige starts to question, OK, was everybody really equal? Because <laughs> yeah. we're seeing in Russia that some people that have means don't have to suffer through the poor grocery situation. They get more stuff. That's so right. was everybody really equal? And Elizabeth says, well, we all have our problems, but we're also all in it together. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's a grown up way to look at the idea of socialism or communism. That's the way to look at it. But I think it's really kind of interesting, though, that there's not really a solid model for that anywhere. Like, you know, it doesn't really actually work. And I don't think that it ever did. And I can tell you, like, from um, growing up, my brother, who is brilliant, brilliant guy, um, he used to tell me 
um, growing up that communism is a failed model. It will never succeed. And, um, and I, I think it's true because you can't, people are not one and they're not in it together. You know, like a lot of people can strive and, and work and have like, you know, like a construct around them that they, that they try to work, you know, through together, like as, you know, citizens of a country with shared, you know, values and similar values. But that's, I think about as good as it gets. So um, Elizabeth suggests that it might be a good idea to camouflage the book on the shelf with similar topics so it doesn't kind of stand out so much. And it and it's really brilliant writing, I think, here where Jamie, they say, well, she says, I can get you some of those other types of books if you want. So it implies that Elizabeth is not just like the blind soldier in the whole mechanism here. She's studied and she's philosophized and she's thought about this stuff. She's read, she's read about communism. She's educated about it. Well, yeah. I mean, like that had to be part of her whole thing, right? Oh, by the way, um, I don't know if you are up on this stuff, but um, there really, really, really freaking was KGB University. Like that's basically what the name translated to spy college. Like, like they had a university that they used to educate their spies. So you can believe that they had classes on philosophy, you know, being that the whole idea of the whole damn thing was communism, Right. I don't know. I'm sure there's no CIA academy like the KGB academy, but um, I think we I think we probably touch some of that stuff when we teach our spies what to do. Yeah, probably. All right. So here's the Peter Peter Gabriel song. Lay your hands on me. Um, yep. Start to hear it here. It's just not. We don't. It kind of plays through a few scenes. But the other Peter Gabriel song we heard was um, "Here Comes the Flood," and that was when. Um, I guess Elizabeth burned the letter that Leanne gave to her to give to Jared that she wanted her son Jared to read. And she protects Jared from learning who his parents really were by burning that letter back in who knows what season. That was a long time ago. That was um, season... This is season five, right? So that would have been season three. Yeah, so Peter Gabriel, like, he's pretty profound. If you start hearing Peter Gabriel in the background, you know it's a profound moment. I agree with you, and I was so very, very freaking happy to hear some Peter Gabriel, because I think this is the first time in the series that we've heard a Peter Gabriel song. No, we heard it at the other time. I just told you. When oh, the... wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. <gasps> That's the whole point. Two Peter Gabriels, both at critical times. Wow, we're the burning stuff. <laughs> yeah, burning letters, burning paper. Wow, okay. Plus, I'm Jimmy, sorry. what was more profound than the time John Cusack hold, held the boombox over his head with Peter Gabriel? That's right. For the girl. Oh, I forget the movie, but um, say anything. Yep, that's it. All right, Oleg and Knight now at jail visiting the warehouse dude. <laughs> this poor yeah. guy, this poor schlub's in a cell now sitting there protecting his source because he knows his source is more badass than the freaking KGB. What the hell? <laughs> He's more worried about those guys than the government. Yeah. He's going to jail. So He's going to sit this, it out. 
Oh, like goes strutting through there like Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Fever, and he's all like da 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 noon is strut walking over to the you know, to the um the holding cell, and he's just like looking down on dude from above and checking out those quarters, man. Where and else dude, guy? Where else guy's a good fella? He's gonna not speak. He's not gonna rat out his accomplices. It's just so crazy to me because you know he's gonna end up dead anyway. All right, so Oleg goes home and takes out the hidden cassette from under the globe. <laughs> Leaves his parents behind. It looks like he goes to the roof of their building, right? He doesn't go, like, across town. It looks like he just goes up on the roof of that building. To me, it seemed like that anyway. And he burns the map, and then he burns the cassette, but not very well, Jamie. He doesn't completely destroy all the tape. Well, I don't know if that was supposed to be that he didn't destroy it all the way or like maybe, you know, the burn finishes later or I don't know what the hell. But um, I love that scene because, you know, where it comes into like his bedroom, he is standing in front of that bookcase with the, with the globe on top. And it just looks so crazy because you're like, what the hell? I mean, the dude is like 6'6 six, six or something and he's just standing there. And then all of a sudden he just like reaches up and grabs the thing from under and then goes, you know, and I loved that scene. Like, like after he grabs the stuff out of his room, the tape and the note, he just goes to like that door, like one door away from the kitchen where his mom was. And he gives her that look and she looks at him back and he doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to make a gesture, nothing. Yeah, it's the do what you need to do to protect your safety. Like she gave him that advice an episode or two ago. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think what it was is like, you know, like I like looked at dude in the cell and was like, fuck this. (laughs) I'm not trying to do this. (laughs) And then, you know, he went home and got the evidence and burned it. That's a good connection. So you think he might have foreseen himself? Yeah. Forecasted himself into the jail cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good take. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. All right. Philip and Elizabeth take Paige now to see Gabriel. Kind of a shocking event. Uh, she will that. know. She will know what her parents do. She's not going to be kept in the dark like Philip and um, Elizabeth were. She's going to know everything about what her, what her parents do. Yeah, I um I I love that. I love that. I love that so much. I think it's got to be. I mean, like this episode had two of my favorite scenes of the series of the series. Uh, one of them was Gabriel and the other one was this montage with uh Paige and her parents. I just loved that so very much. Um <laughs> Wow, I, I really did. I mean, it, it was beautiful, and it had this really warm feeling, you know, of like this kid who trusts her parents, and you know, her parents are taking her somewhere. It's important, and we don't know where, and we kind of have an idea because when we see the outside of the building, but then, you know, she walks in, and there's Gabriel, and I got to tell you, Langella and um, Holly Taylor. Frank Langella and Holly Taylor, their acting, I mean, like everybody really, but their acting this season has been unbelievable. I mean, like, and especially Frank Langella, that dude really deserves an Emmy. He really deserves an Emmy for this season. 
I mean, just the episode so far, his acting has been so very good. I mean, the expressions on his face, I don't know. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I think Paige is it, – it's true. He's a great actor. But it's more fascinating to me with Paige because we saw Paige when she was like, what, 13 or 12 or 13 and now she's like 19, maybe maybe 14. I don't know. But she's like 19 now, so five years ago. So she, we watched her grow up. It was really, it's really fascinating to see that. And we're watching an actress grow up, and you know, she's grown up in her actress role too. Right. And then, didn't they say the Jays say like last season, like at the end of last season, that they got really lucky? <laughs> you know, that they picked um, Holly Taylor to act the role because, but sometimes, like you have an actor like that, like a young actor who seems good and fine for a role at that age, for that particular role for which they were cast. But as they grow, if the role expands, sometimes the actor cannot stretch to meet the demands of the role. And if that happens, you're kind of sunk. But with Holly Taylor, they got lucky because she really can reach those places. She's a good little actress. Yeah, how can you know? It's just a crapshoot. Yep. All right, Jamie, that's it for 506 Crossbreed on the Americans on West Coast Project. Don't forget to come back and watch or listen to our podcast on Better Call Saul. Starts up this week. That's right. And Fargo later this month, we'll be doing that. So, Jamie, how do people reach you? This, this 506 Crossbreed, how do people reach you before 507, the Committee on Human Rights? I am on Twitter. I'm at WordGirly. And I also have a website to talk about our wonderful shows and podcasts that we do called wishisaidthatshit.com. All right, Jamie, you got any insights to the Committee on Human Rights? No. I don't either. I didn't watch any next ons or any of the previews or anything. (laughs) Fargo looks good and Better Call Saul looks really good, too. So come back and listen to those. All right, cool. All right, talk to you then. Bye.